if there's anything that I, I, I would want from authenticity, if there's anything that authenticity breeds, it would be that, wouldn't it be? Like that people feel like things are more right after they speak with us. Welcome to A Congruent Life, where we share inspirational stories of authenticity and happiness. A Congruent Life is an interview project sharing the stories of ordinary people doing extraordinary things, discovering their passions, and living authentic, amazing lives. Here's your host, Andy Gray. Hello, everyone. My name is Andy Gray, and I'd like to welcome you to episode 54 of A Congruent Life. On this show, we share conversations with some pretty inspiring people about authenticity and reinvention. Over the last couple of years, I've been inspired by Victor Saad, who not only decided to take his education into his own hands and handcraft an experience that was just what he wanted, but now is crystallizing his vision and reinventing education through a new school that's called the Experience Institute. I had the opportunity to meet Victor in person recently and was delighted that he agreed to join us on A Congruent Life to share his experience and vision. Here's our conversation. I'm talking today to Victor Saad, who did a novel project called The Leap Year Project and now has some interesting perspectives on modernizing education through the Experience Institute. Victor, welcome to A Congruent Life. Hey, thanks for having me. Absolutely. You're someone that I've been wanting to talk to for quite a while, and I'm glad that we finally get the opportunity to connect. I love your perspective on authenticity and the way that you're sort of charting your own path in the way of education. So I thought maybe we could spend some time talking about that. Yeah, thanks. I'm looking forward to sharing a few stories and hearing some of yours as well, hopefully. Great. So let's maybe just start with a quick introduction. Can you just kind of introduce yourself to our audience and let people know a little bit what you're up to, and then we can get into more detail about some of the specifics? Sure, of course. Um, well, my name is Victor, Victor Saad. Uh, I um, grew up all through the Midwest and landed at a small university in, um, in the Chicagoland area and studied at Moody Bible Institute. So I, was, I studied education here and then spent five years after my college career working in the West suburbs. There was a church that was building a uh, 40,000 square foot student space um, that was meant to kind of serve middle school and high school students and uh, kind of a safe space after school and on the weekends. Um, and I, I became a program director there, creative director, loved it. Um, fell in love with kind of the idea of social entrepreneurship. So creating things that both um, you know, are sustainable, but also have a focus on impacting and serving a community and um, was going to do my MBA. And uh, that led me to a whole slew of stories that we'll sh- I'll talk about shortly. And then now um, that I'm, I'm kind of in the middle of this bit of a startup where I work in higher education, helping other people create a master's program through experience. That's great. I love the chart your own path nature of that. There's a lot that we can dig into there, yeah. I think. So let's maybe start with toward the end of the story you were just mentioning there about you decided that you wanted to get an MBA. Why did you decide that you wanted to do that? And what kinds of things did you discover as you were evaluating how to go about that? I think the reason why I decided to get an MBA was I was starting to be full of questions, which is kind of where I think all learning should start. They're almost like a scale you know, you start watching questions kind of pile up on one side of the scale and you're like, wait, 
I have that question about, well, how does that work? Or how does this work? Or how does that work? And like, how are good teams built? And how did, you know, who, who do you hire first? And, you know, how do you manage, uh, you know, like, how do you build a, a business with not very much money? Um, how do you establish the right values? And um, how do you navigate? I mean, once again, just, you know, I could go into a, a whole slew of things. And I, I, I was just noticing that, a lot of the questions were also fo- like fall- falling in the arena of kind of business. So finance and marketing questions. I had ideas in the, you know, for the intersection of design and business and, and seeing kind of those two specific arenas be divided. And I, I was kind of sitting in the middle of them. So where could I learn um, the most about those two things. So I was looking at business programs left and right, design programs left and right. Um, I'm in Chicago, so there's two amazing schools here, University of Chicago and Northwestern, um, amongst a whole slew of other pro, uh, uh, great universities um, that aren't maybe as well known or as highly ranked, but still great spots to, to attend. My passion to serve people was being met, but there were just some experiences and um, skills that I still didn't have. Um, and so I was just trying to figure out the best way to, to learn those skills and to expand my knowledge of what was happening in the spaces that I wanted to be in in my future. So how did you have the intuition or, or how did you come to the conclusion that those needs or the skills that you wanted to acquire would not be best served by pursuing a traditional MBA program or some other sort of advanced education? Like anything, if you just start knocking on doors, you know, and pushing things over, you start uncovering things. There's there's so many um, there's so many paved paths already that people travel down them, and you can just kind of leapfrog to the end and see how people turned out and how they felt about it. And enough conversations with MBA students, especially ones that may have started their journey with the same mindset that I did, enough conversations with them and finding well. They learned a lot, and they had some of them had amazing experiences where they were telling me, like, hey, there, there are probably other ways if you would have just, like, like go back down the road I went, go back to the beginning, and just move a little slower, turn over some stones, see whatever, like, I passed things too quickly. Like, maybe you should div- diverge a little bit. So I'm really grateful for the people that shared conversations with me. Um, you know, there was a, a slew of folks, people who knew me and knew the way I had kind of come up into my own. But then there were people who didn't know me and who were just sharing their stories and then listening to mine and kind of showing the intersections or the ways that they may have uh, maybe would, wish they would have gone right or left as opposed to just continuing the, down the path they went. So um, so that was helpful. I think, too, just just looking at some of the syllabi and um, visiting the classes, man, it was so exciting to be in a college atmosphere. But I was noticing that the reason why I was really excited for it was the people. I mean, the classes were cool, too, but, like, you, if you just kind of break it apart away from college, I just wanted to be around people who had done cool things and were willing to teach people and then people who were in the posture of learning. There's not only one place in the world to find that. It's just the most common place is a university. So how else could I find that combination to learn what I wanted to learn? Those kind of questions just started arising as I was having conversations with people. I think that's a hugely important observation about the things that you liked about the university environment seem to focus on the people, not the academics or the, the classes themselves. 
Yeah, I wanted to know more intellectually. And I, I think, like, on top of that, Andy, like, there is this ever-expanding body of knowledge popping up online. So content isn't even what's important anymore. I have access to the best lectures in the world right now. All I have to do is Google. I just, what I enjoyed was being like face-to-face with people and rubbing shoulders with people. So then what's the, what's the play there? Like, how, how do I like pick this all apart, make it more of a palette, and now I have a blank canvas and and put the right things together then for me. So what'd you decide to do instead? I was slowly piecing this thing together of like, what is the alternative? And at first it was just like, I will take a year and learn. And I was looking at different mini programs. There was incubators that had programs. There were like pop-up classes left and right. There were MOOCs that were becoming so popular in 2011, 2012. Um, so I was like, well, I could just start piecing things together. And then throughout several of those conversations, one of my dear friends, Seth, Seth Kravitz, said to me, he's like, you're going to have to organize it. I mean, part of the reason why college works is because there's a beginning and a middle and an end. There are these kind of, you know, there's a little bit of structure to it. Well, there's a lot of structure to it. So you have to add a dose of structure. So like whatever it is, do, do 12 things in 12 months and make them completely disparate. And we were talking about this conversation or this idea of like 12 things in 12 months, 12 experiences. And, uh, and sure enough, like the more we were talking about it, I was like, all right, I'll put some structure around it. Let's do 12, 12 experiences, 12 months, and all around this idea of, uh, or this intersection of design, business, and then social change. And so then it was like, all right, well, where do I begin if I'm going to do 12 things in 12 months? Now, the the funny thing is I called it a leap year, and um, instead of a gap year, I hated the word gap because it made it seem like I was just going to disappear for a year, and I had some things to do, obviously. So I called it a leap year, and then 2012 actually happened to be a leap year, and people that I was interviewing were always telling me, like, man, I wish I would have, or if I was you, I would... Um, or if I were you, I would do this or that or the other. So um, I wanted it to also not just be the Victor project, but c- could there be some uh, in- some sort of invitation along the way uh, where people were taking leaps of their own, and that would be kind of my those would be my fellow students and you know people who are learning and risking with me. So yeah, so we launched a blog and a website. I had people subscribe at ten dollars a month to you know, uh, and I would write my papers to them monthly. And then I had to just source my projects, 12 projects, 12 experiences. What what would I do? So design agencies or nonprofits and um, farming projects or app projects, whatever I could get my hands on. That's what I did. Serving um, serving uh, Thanksgiving dinner on Skid Row and seeing what an, uh, a homeless ministry looks like in downtown L.A. Um, so it was just a series of of projects where I could be um, a consultant almost. I would talk to a CEO or a creative director or an executive director, and I would say, hey, give me a few days to just interview your staff and try to find one common problem that or opportunity that I could pursue over the course of four weeks and give you a, a deliverable. And I would just scope a project um, and work for them for that time. And I just did that several times over. So how did you choose those experiences, come up with those 12 things were going to be? And then how did you find folks that bought into your vision and would take you under your, under their wing to, to do something like this? 
like when you go into something like this, you want the biggest names, right? Like you're like, wait, could Google let me do this? Like would, you know, the White House and you're thinking of the most ridiculous things. And eventually I found that there's just a spectrum on you have this spectrum of really, really amazing kind of well-known companies and individuals um, but they're harder to get to. And then on the other end, you have people who aren't really well known, but think the world of what you're doing and, um, and they're, and they're going to, they'd be willing to give you the time and, and, uh, resources, energy to, to make it a great experience. And I just found a cool balance between the both. I mean, no, the white house didn't let me come in. Obviously Oprah said no, all these people, I got tons of no's. You actually asked Oprah in the white house? Uh, yeah, I, I sent a DVD and a, a video to the White House, to the president, and then I also, I actually met Oprah, talked to her for a couple minutes, gave her a letter. Um, I met her at a party, long story. Um, and yeah, so... That's fantastic. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was cool. I mean, her, her bodyguard didn't like me at first, but I timed <laughs> <laughs> a couple of winks and a, an extra drink, and uh, it was funny. Anyway, so yeah, so um, I, I found quickly that it was all about the people. I can't emphasize enough how grateful I am to the, like to the people who actually gave me the time of day, especially the ones at the beginning. And you know, the, someone who probably sits in the middle of that spectrum that I was telling you about is Jake Nickel from Threadless, who you know, massive, awesome, super hip company. Also, just somebody who sees a gap in education and wants to continue pushing it and invites invites me in, even though I, you know, he doesn't really know me super well and just sees kind of the grit that I'm showing. Um, that was a cool kind of middle ground. And then he introduces me to Alex Bogusky, and who's, you know, also really well known, but cares deeply about people. And even though he's, you know, across the spectrum, he's done all kinds of things. Um gives me an invitation and, and Sam Stubblefield. So these, uh, uh, Sam Stubblefield works at a top notch architecture firm in Seattle. So these fellas, they, they just, they, they had good jobs, good opportunities for people to learn. And they saw the, the grit that I had and they weren't necessarily Google or like I said, the white house or they weren't Oprah, but they were really inviting and really gracious, uh, to let me chip away. And I, and then I had to in return, bust my tail and, and really make sure that I had them in, in mind that it wasn't just a show for my audience. Look at where I'm at and look at what I'm getting to do. It was more so like, I really want to make something great there. I love the spirit of maybe both courage and audacity at some level to, to go such an unconventional way. First of all, to say, you know what, I think that I'm going to I'm trusting myself that I will be better served to put together my own educational plan, if you will, rather than doing what everybody expects me to do, which is go to a top tier MBA school and get the expensive degree and have those credentials with the diploma on the wall and to, you know, sort of lean into that and embrace it. And then, um, you know, kind of exemplified by maybe the fact that you did talk to Oprah, that you did talk to the White House, that you did dream big and actually had the courage to reach out to them. Yeah, I mean... If you talk to anyone who is who has been able to learn something life changing or has been able to get to a place where they feel like they're firing on all cylinders you know, personally and professionally, you're gonna if you look in their past, you look in their history, it's littered with 
good people or at least one or two amazing people who have shaped them or who have offered them an opportunity or gave them a shot. And I think we're divorcing those people from education too much, like from higher education or formal education, traditional education. Now, some of those people are obviously professors or instructors or those moments are very personal moments. Those shots are very personal shots. And for for me, that that was my entire education. Like I looked for the people who would give me that shot and then I just I like I worked for them. I, I just you know clung to them. Not clung, that sounds funny, but you know what I'm saying. Like I, I worked to make sure that I, I honored them. And so um, those people though are few and far between, I think. And I part of my hope throughout the next, you know, several months, years is to give people the tools and um, a, a great space to to invest their time and energy into people who are like that, who have grit and who have a sincere qu- um, question and curiosity, a purpose that they're aiming for, and have shown the tenacity and, and the excitement and the energy and the pro- like the thoughtfulness to pursue it. And if I can help you know, find, build a bridge between those kinds of people, then I think, um, I think we will find that education is much more personal and community oriented than maybe we're, we're wanting to admit currently. Before we get too far away from the leap year project, wanted to just sort of ask about maybe some of the logistics around that and specifically around the financial piece of that, you know, so you made a pretty conscious choice not to invest what would have probably been a huge chunk of money into an MBA program at a top tier school and all of that, but instead invested in this different way. And you went about that in a really, again, sort of unique way by asking people to subscribe to your journey and support you in that way. I wonder if you could talk a little bit about sort of your reflections and motivation behind all of that. Yeah, I I think it's really important to be transparent about this. Um, And I think everyone can do it slightly differently. And our students have done it differently as well. Uh, one, I, I was smart with my money before I started this, so I didn't have any major debts. I, I wasn't paying off a car payment, and I didn't, I hadn't bought anything that left me riddled in debt. So that was helpful. Secondly, I had about two months savings, three months savings, and I, and I don't have a family or any major obligations. So with all that said, I don't think I'm the only candidate who could pull this kind of thing off. Um, it was just. I was just one person to try it. Those things gave me a little bit of the nudge or the freedom to do so. Um, now, as far as like the specifics of, well, how do you invite somebody into this? Um, first of all, I set up like a, um, a subscription invitation through Amazon. At the time, at that time, in late 2011, the payment gateway world was still like under some massive disruption. No one had re- Stripe was not quite there yet. Um, all of these kind of really slick platforms weren't quite there yet. So, um, but Amazon had a cool subscription platform for magazines. And I figured, well, why don't I think of myself like a magazine or MailChimp? You know, you can do a subscription thing to MailChimp. And so, and everyone understands the idea of paying monthly or quarterly for a magazine. So, what if I made my papers um, and the deliverable? Um, my learnings and so on. So people could get a behind the scenes look into what I'm doing, sharing my learnings and even offer to make connections across my this like small community of supporters, knowing that 
the type of people who would support this would probably be like-minded, like-hearted people who should know one another anyway. And I could be the connector for them. And so, sure enough, that's what I started pitching to people. Now, you really, if you can't pitch your family on something, then don't go pitch a stranger. You got to be able to talk to them first and foremost. And that was the hardest to tell my, my parents who wanted me to be a doctor that I was quitting my job, which with students. Uh, so already like a notch behind what they expected of me. And then two notches behind, I'm going to go beg for money um, in their eyes. But, you know, to explain the value of this to them and then to get them on board. And then I just kind of went beyond that, like my outer circle or, you know, to my next circle of friends. And then from there to people outside of that. And then I could say, hey, look, I have 30 people already in at $10 a month. My goal is 200 people at $10 a month um, to make, you know, roughly 2000 a, a month in um, in a stipend, which isn't very much. Like that's totally reasonable um, amount of money to ask for. I was really transparent about how I was spending the money and so on too, gave reports if people wanted that. And then finally, you know, a couple of people pitched in a little bit more. Uh, I probably could have gone the sponsorship route now that I know what I know um, about just marketing and sponsorship. And I mean, I could have, yeah, there's a whole slew of stuff I could have done there. So that was that. And then travel was interesting. So travel and housing and so on. One of the students that I mentored in my previous job, his dad was really, really awesome and um, worked for United and was grateful for some of the work I had done with his boy and said, hey, I, I know what you're about to do and I know you're going to need some flights. And so you have my year of buddy passes. So if I can get you somewhere, just tell me where you need to go and um, I'll get you there. And so that that made some interesting days in the airport. But for the most part, that was incredibly helpful. And then staying places, Airbnb, Craigslist, um, friends. And by the time, by the second half of the journey, I had enough Facebook and Twitter friends where I could just say like, hey, I'm, I'm coming to Boulder, you know, I'm going to San Diego. Who's got a bed, you know, and that eventually worked just fine. So I, I, I'm learning now, like what parts of this scale, what parts of this apply to other people. My, my journey was just an extreme, but the like, if anything, if I can do it, then so can anybody else. Um, it just matter. It's just a matter of working together on it, you know. Well, you talk a lot more about this in in your book, the Leap Year Project. Certainly, lots of lessons to be learned there and conclusions to draw. I wonder if you have a few thoughts as we transition into what you're up to now about how people can maybe draw on that experience that aren't quite in that same place as you. But maybe they're in a traditional educational program where they're considering how to architect their upcoming education. You know, are there some experiences that they can draw from from your experience and apply those to their perhaps more traditional circumstances? Um, yeah, so I, I would probably say that every bit of learning, every every important lesson comes from good questions, comes from a, like an insatiable curiosity a sense of wonder and not just general wonder, but a specific wonder like that's rooted in something you saw, felt, heard, experienced. And now you want to pick it apart. You want to find out where else it could fit or work or, or fly. The, those people who are just with the like have a fire in their eye about something that they have to learn. Those are the ones who stumble on lifelong lessons and 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 come up with what they need. If you don't start with that that sense of hope and wonder and curiosity, then you're not going to be able to build anything. 
so start there. That that's probably my biggest sense of, or my, my my probably my biggest piece of advice just around architecting anything like this, building anything like this, to really document those questions and stories that have led you to those questions. I think the second thing is probably to pretty quickly build a small board of people around you, three people, four people who you really trust and um, who understand what you're trying to get to and and why you're trying to get there and who believe in you and who will be a sounding board as you go through it. Not everyone knows how to source those people and that's totally understandable, but normally you just start with the people who are absolutely closest to you. Um, a brother or a sister or a mom or a dad, a best friend. Um, find one or two people who have poured into your life already, a teacher or a boss or a coworker. Um, and maybe find one or two people who are actually a little a little bit younger, um, have a fresh creative eye and have shown a sense of maturity that can walk with you on something like this. And if you're able to find the, that kind of like serious advocate who loves you, the bit of a critic who's just seen a lot and maybe who just can, can spot the holes and then somebody who is um, a bit of a dreamer and visionary with you, um, they're, they're, those people are really great. So that's some good advice. Thanks a lot. So coming out of your leap year experience, uh, you started crystallizing a little more about your vision of what education could be. And you shared that in a, in a great talk um, that you shared with us at the MisfitCon in Fargo and also at a TEDx talk. I wonder if we might share that now. If I started a school, you'd get your diploma on the first day. It would read, this is the first day of the rest of your life. Glad you're here. You could sign up for classes based on how far away from campus they traveled. You wouldn't be graded on time, you'd be graded on distance, on people met, on the number of conversations shared and the words you rhymed, on the bets you made, the pain you felt, how hard you laughed and the failures you endured. If I started a school, your first assignment would be to build with your hands, second, to feel with your mind, third, to think with your heart, fourth, to embark on a journey to a far-off land where you'd have to hunt for what you loved and you'd have to yell it from desktops and hallways just so you would never forget it. A would stand for adventurous. F would stand for fear because God knows if you quit, it's just because you got scared and all of us have been there. Cities would be our campuses. We'd study what's been built, made, and broken and find ways to live, raid, and embolden those spaces to be more. Our playgrounds would be parks and lots. Our cafeteria would be the shop down the street where you'd be greeted by a jolly old man affectionately named Pops who would always ask you about your day at school. Our dorms would be peppered among an array of people. We'd remind those around us that learning doesn't just happen near ivory steeples, that today is our chance to grow and learn how to shape our universe, our ether, and that home is found when you do what makes you come alive with people who are willing to push and strive to do what's right. Good loving would be a required class. It would be taught by an old couple with wrinkles in their foreheads and hands still clasped, they would tell stories about how they loved through fear and how they fear nothing because of love. Our favorite lecturer would be Risk Herself, 
the marketer who started a cafe just to bring people around good food, the designer who spent hours on end to figure out how to build software that could connect people in seconds, the mother who turned her life upside down just because she cared, the ordinary people who chased their hopes and their dreams, the pioneers, and their lectures would make you move. They would talk just long enough to inspire you to dive in, at which point they'd lecture not as you sat, but as you swam. And they would teach you how to keep your head above water and how not to get drowned in the impossible. If I started a school, our school sport would be creativity. Our school mascot would be the clouds. Our school uniforms would be love. Our color would be hope. Our song would be something that would make you dance hard. They would play it in the clubs and no one would have a chance of standing against the walls. It would be the type of place where Steve Jobs and Bill Gates would have stayed friends. They would have... They would have continued their journeys that would have led them to magnificent ends, but they probably would have opened a cafe called Silicon's Den where they would have become teachers and they would have taught you how to make all kinds of odds and ends. Our students would be dreamers, doers, and makers. You'd sit in class with a boy who stutters but could somehow woo audiences with his stories. A singer who builds buildings, an engineer who fashions experiences, A writer who reports on the silence of monks and a teenager who advises presidents and counselors and CEOs when they get stuck. And we wouldn't hold a graduation. We would just throw a party every year. We would trek back from space stations and startups and valleys and mountaintops. And for the ones who just began, we'd listen closely to what they learned. They'd be cheered on by the ones who began years before. Because we knew from the start that this wouldn't be about a piece of paper that would hang as some wall art. Learning doesn't stop. It's a cycle, a rhythm, a habit, a force to be reckoned with. So that when failures raise their monstrous head and the world's challenges whip out their daggers and the problems of this world come creeping in through crooks and crannies, we'd simply say, welcome to the first day of the rest of your life. We're glad you're here. Thank you. So, Victor, what are you up to now? <laughs> Where's all this taking you? Yeah. So, after the Leap Year project, there were uh, several different directions I could have gone, either personally and with the project itself. And, and I think the Leap Year project will remain as kind of a social good Olympics, you know, something we do every four years. And re-ask this question of taking a risk to create change and giving people a chance to kind of recalibrate a little bit on on things that they should do. But this educational question around what does experiential, what what does higher education look like through experience? And, you know, how do we create, how might we, you know, redesign higher education through experience? That, That just continued to surface. Is there a way to organize the idea of uh, what I did for for a year? Is there a way to to share it, to replicate it? And um, with, so, with not a lot of time or money, as far as like between Leap Year Project and and EI, we just decided to build a, a team of friends and mentors um, to support a small community of people that might be willing to try a year like that, and and, and made a call, um, like just invited people to apply. 
And um, so we started a school uh, called Experience Institute. Uh, and last fall, five people met us in Chicago. And for the next year, or up until now, they've been doing this. Instead of doing 12 experiences, they, they slotted three main experiences that are about three month, months each. And um, my friends and I, we created a curriculum for them to kind of step through uh, throughout the year. So students met in Chicago, two weeks of classes, intensive classes around design thinking and storytelling, operations, community building, self-awareness, and, you know, these kind of interdisciplinary courses where they're able to apply them to their fields, their fields of study, and also give them time to kind of build these, these friendships together. And then several of the companies that I had worked at, plus uh, you know some of the, the companies surrounding them, said, hey, if you have more students or people who are wanting to do something like this, send them our way. And so I tried to, working on creating that bridge between these kind of experienced students and, um, and companies so they can work at those companies for three months, be paid a small stipend to cover their tuition. Um, and tuition's relatively, in, in relation to higher education, much much more minimal. It's $12,000. And so can they make that through their apprenticeships? And, and then that way we don't have to worry about like recruiting or taking anything off of the students' wages, but we're more so able to help them get into positions where they can learn on the job. And then while they're there, we do weekly coaching sessions with them. So five students and a coach um, continue going through curriculum, continue sh sharing challenges and highlights and lowlights throughout their year and learnings. And then they return every quarter for more class, uh, for, for more classes. And so it's been this, this kind of system of um, like departing and then returning and working on the job and learning through experience. And the founding five students have done all kinds of stuff. They've worked at design agencies and advertising agencies and architecture firms. One student was at a monastery. Another student was in the Philippines for three months doing sustainable relief work. Um, we've partnered with all kinds of great companies. And so we're, we're just chipping away at this kind of idea that school might not have to be school as we know it. There might be this third space. Um, between kind of the workforce and traditional education for people to navigate um, points of transition where they want to learn more and grow more, but don't want to put themselves in a traditional program. It's such a fantastic idea to engage in education in such a radically different way and such a individualized way. Now that you've been doing this, I guess you've had a, a little over a year at this point, right, with a cycle of students. Uh, what would you say are some maybe stories of some of the successes and some of the things that maybe didn't go as you expected. Yeah. For better or for worse, EI still hasn't like honed in on a really particular category of student. Like we're not in a replacement for MBA program. We're not a, an art program or a design program. Uh, we're not an engineering program. Um, we're not even necessarily an entrepreneurship program. But we have we touch all those things that I just mentioned, and so um, that's made for a really eclectic community of learners, where you have an engineer and a designer and a business a businessman and, um, and you know a writer all in the same room together, and so just the sheer community of that, like this community of learners who are embarking on something like that together, in and itself has been this great success, where we were. We can offer something, the very thing that I wanted in university setting that was going to cost me an exorbitant amount of money. I was 
I was able to create. And that like it's just been so cool to see how close they've gotten because they come in and they sit in such different chairs with such different minds, but with such a common thread between them of of um, of wanting to both make the world a better place, but then also really hone in on their skills and how they can apply their skills in the marketplace. And so like it was just a really cool connection. So that's worked really well. I think the the apprenticeships, you know, how we decipher or um, kind of differentiate apprenticeship between an internship has continued to be a uh, like a, a really fun discovery. So h- how do we make it feel like when they're at the company, they're actually working on something valuable? And so they have focused time. They actually have to pitch the company on it, on what they're going to do even before they arrive. Like the student has to research the company. They have to find out what problems the company is facing and, and who works there and who they would possibly report to and then pitch that person and say, hey, this is why I want to be there. And that just that from the beginning establishes a very different kind of relationship. Now, obviously, companies move at a mile a minute. And so some of the challenges have been, well, like what happens when projects shift or when things go differently? And and so we've had to navigate that. I mean, it's not just like a plug and play system. But what, what our curriculum does is it makes our students learners, um, not just um, like cogs in a system where they have to be handheld. Like they know how to go into a company and research what other problems are happening even or are, are surfacing even as things are fluid, or especially as things are fluid. And so that's been a, a really sweet thing to watch the curriculum set them up to be successful in places that are nebulous or where they need to adapt or they need to be inventive. They're, they're ready to go even in those situations. So I kind of took you through a pro, like the community, and then a con of like, well, what happens when, you know, in the company setting things aren't just, you know, just perfect every time, but then once again, just the classes we're teaching, the conversations we're having are actually setting them up to win in those settings. What's your vision for how the Experience Institute might continue to evolve? And what's your big picture vision of what this can become? So I've, I've talked about the third space in higher education where experience is a credible form of education, that it, you know, it's just as sophisticated and smart and um, celebrated to take a year like this as it would be to do something that's uh, in traditional, you know, a, a traditional educational program or um, or just going in and doing another job or starting something um, that a year at Experience Institute is is um, is the, the type of thing that would launch you into a career or your next step with clarity and with confidence. Um, I think the way that it'll pan out is probably twofold. One is I think we're going to get more ingrained in, into the into company culture. I would love it if EI, I don't think EI should ever be free, but I think there's a idea here of the, the, that companies are, if they, if companies think of themselves as learning, as places of learning and ongoing learning, if we can get rid of this idea that learning only happens in two or four years, then what we can do is we can start inviting people who are, are in their fields of study, I'm sorry, it, it, who are already working to continue learning with us. So us doing workshops at companies, us doing sub, like kind of directed sabbaticals and so on, gives people this, um, 
think gives EI this sense of almost being a learning gym of sorts, where you where you go frequently to continue to hone in your skills. You continue learning with different different kinds of people and so on. And if companies do that, and that their ongoing education budgets are spent in in that kind of way, then we can continue subsidizing a year long program for for all kinds of economic classes of individuals who want to come here for seasons of learning as well. And so there's this play of companies and students, you know, uh, learning together and supporting one another. So that that's one of the ways I think we can continue expanding. The other is to make EI, you know, more of um to make it like a hub here in Chicago, but then to launch another EI in another city and continue growing in that way. And that's not incredibly uncommon. Obviously, there's all kinds of business models that revolve around, you know, uh, branching out that way. Um, but could could EI be almost EI in a in a kit, EI in a box, where someone who wants to start uh, kind of a community in their area are able to do so? So. Like a, what what TEDx has done, you know, with the TED conferences, can but can someone do that with EI? The purpose of this project, It Can Grow at Life, is really about sharing stories and you know, sort of exploring these themes of authenticity and and reinvention. So, in that light, what does living authentically or congruently mean to you? Authenticity is one of those things that um, it's easy to talk about, right? It's it's easy to. It's it's like it's like. It's a very it's it's one of those things like you can talk about it from the sidelines for days. Oh, they should you know this is what authentic lifestyles look should look like. It's like uh, somebody who's um, yeah literally sitting on the sidelines of a soccer game and they're just like oh man he should have passed the ball this way you know he should have the goalie should have dove that way. Um, but when you're actually on the field, it's really hard to do. And I think there's authenticity needs a lot of practice and it's going to look different for everyone. And normally it's, it's not a game that's played alone. Um, authenticity requires other people. And so choosing the people that you're going to be authentic with is really important. And that would then mean that are you not going to, are you going to be inauthentic with some people? And I, that's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying to find the people who you're going to be authentic with and practice with them. Um, and authenticity, I think, is, once again, it's got to be probably defined differently for different people. But find the, find the people who are living it in a way that you look up to, people who are either open about their uh, their failures and their challenges or people who have um, maybe maybe uh, who have built a business or a, not, built an idea or a project that's been more rooted in values than in just dollars um, or, or have obviously been able to do both, you know, um, find those people and, and, and learn from them and then practice it. Yeah, it continues to be something that as I as I start EI and more and more people I'm engaging with all kinds of people. And, you know, just to be really frank with you, like there are, it's this education is this weird space where you kind of have to like wear a very academic intellectual hat that I don't necessarily know how to wear or have even, but I have to act a lot of ways sometimes. And I have to fight that urge to act like somebody different. 
um, as I start this. And so I think the way I fight that is I remind myself who I'm really here for and why I'm really doing this, that I actually don't care about higher education as much as I care about the people that higher education is meant to serve. Um, these people at points of transition and people who are hoping to make a difference in the world and to grow into their, their roles and their, their, what they want to become. And so, I don't know. I mean, like I said, I meet people all the time and I'm always analyzing like the balance of vulnerability and mystery and um, quietness and loudness and um, extroversion and introversion. I, I'm just like always, I'm always paying attention to it, but I haven't figured out the balance of it. And in my wake, I hope to to be somebody who when somebody interacted with them, they felt more whole afterwards. They felt more alive. They felt more like, like more hopeful. Um, and I don't know how to be that yet. I, I don't know. The, I don't know. the. I don't know. But that's if there's anything um, that I, I, I would want from authenticity, if there's anything that authenticity breeds, it would be that, wouldn't it be? Like that people feel like things are more right after they speak with us. Um, and so, I don't know. I'm figuring it out, Andy. I'm not there yet, though. I think we all are. But that's a great reflection. Thanks. And, and thanks for your honesty. I mean, that dichotomy of wearing hats that we don't necessarily feel qualified to or really any interest in. But sometimes it's a, a matter of keeping our eye on the why. What What is it that we're really trying to accomplish here and, and how can we get there? And do it in a way of, you know, integrity in a way that feels good mm -hmm. to us, you know, still feels whole, but it's, it's not easy. You know, like you said, it's uh, something that's easy to do on the sidelines, but when you're actually the man in the arena, as Brene Brown right. likes to quote, you know, it gets really hard. Yep, it's really absolutely. hard. Absolutely. So how can our listeners engage with you, Victor? Where should we send people to find out more about what you're doing or folks that want to engage with you? For starters, there's the Leap Year Project book. It's on Kindle and iPad, and uh, there's a hard copy of it as well. Um, you can get that on Amazon um, or at leapyearproject.org. Um, and then if anyone's interested in uh, coming to EI, we do a nomination basis. It's on a nomination basis, and you're welcome to go to experienceinstitute.com and uh, meet us there and ask questions, sign up for the newsletter. Um, those are probably the two best. If you're interested in just cutting some of my personal stuff, victorsod.com, I write once a week or so and just share quick quick reflections and stuff. So, um, But yeah, I think if you follow along Experience Institute, you're going to meet some of the most courageous, thoughtful, fantastic people on the planet. And the first five students are those types of people. Um, They've, they've been my heroes this year, and I would I would just encourage you to, to learn what you can about them. Um, so, yeah. Is there a final thought you'd like to leave us with about authenticity? I think authenticity should leave you thinking there's no person too small and no problem too big. That's a fantastic way to leave it. Victor Saad, thanks so much for sharing your experiences with us. Boy, this is so inspiring to hear, uh, first of all, about the Leap Year Project. I love what you're doing uh, with the Experience Institute. And thanks so much for taking this time to chat with us on Congruent Life. Hey, my pleasure. Thank you. I hope that you enjoyed that conversation with Victor Saad. The show notes for this episode are at acongruentlife.net slash 54 or acongruentlife.net slash Saad, which is spelled S-A-A-D. I really do appreciate your continued support of the show. 
It's really gratifying to me that you're finding these conversations inspiring and supportive. If you would, please take a quick moment to leave a review for the show at acongruentlife.net slash iTunes or acongruentlife.net slash Stitcher. Thanks so much. Thanks for again for listening to and supporting A Congruent Life. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to A Congruent Life. For more, please visit us on the web at acongruentlife.net. Do you have feedback about the show or suggestions for future guests? Please contact us through the website or send an email to feedback at acongruentlife.net. See you next time.